0: Support for today's show comes from Locker Room, the best place to talk sports. Make sure to follow me on Locker Room at Jake Reiner, and I'll invite you to chat on my weekly baseball room, uniquely titled Meeting on the Mound. Download Locker Room for free on the Apple App Store today and join the conversation. We're going to be doing things a little differently today for our episode of Meeting on the Mound. Opening day is right around the corner, and there have been a lot of debates going on in the baseball world this offseason, and I think it's time we cover all of the big ones here today. That's why I've assembled my own opening day roster of baseball experts for a nice roundtable debate show. Let's meet the players. First, we have the co-host of Girl at the Game podcast, Gabrielle Starr. Uh, Gabrielle also does social media for the Locked On Podcast Network and advocates for minor leaguers. Next, we have Keaton Gilligley. He is the voice of the Seattle Mariners Class A affiliate, the Modesto Nuts, as well as Michigan State's. Michigan State women's basketball, and the host of Cal Colleagues on Locker Room. And last but certainly not least, we have my co-host from the Incline Dodgers podcast. It's Kevin Klein and David Rosenthal. Welcome, everyone. Let's get started. So the other day, we heard that MLB is going to be cracking down on doctored baseballs. Uh, They're going to have increased monitoring by game day compliance officers, inspection of baseballs by a third-party lab. And they'll use Statcast to monitor unusual upticks in pitchers' spin rates. And players will be subject to discipline by the commissioner's office. So they're really trying to get these foreign substances out of the game. So I'd like to hear your guys' reaction on this. But also with the question of, do you guys feel like this is actually cheating? Um, and where does this rank for you in terms of other forms of cheating? And Gabrielle, let's start with you on this one.
1: Oh, that's perfect. Because I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, for starters, I can't believe that this is the priority that Major League Baseball is making right now. Out of It feels like they took their to-do list of all the things that they need to do and looked at all the things that they don't want to handle, like making the game accessible for people, and instead chose something that they thought that they could tackle. That is just really not that big of a deal in my opinion. Honestly, I, I look back at like the home run race between McGuire and Sosa and how much that drew fans in, how entertaining it was. And baseball's in a similar situation right now. Fans haven't been allowed in the ballpark for over a year, except for in the postseason in Texas, which was still most not most baseball fans. Baseball needs to do everything it can to make itself more entertaining, more exciting. And if spin rate is the way to go, Just make a rule that people can use a certain amount of spin rate, like a certain amount of foreign substance to increase their spin rate, regulate it, but don't ban it because you know that they're not going to follow through on this ban. So basically what they're going to do is they're kind of going to half-ass it the way they do with PEDs. And we see that because every single year, despite players testing positive the year before and getting punished, you still see more players test positive the following year. So we know it's not going to be 100% effective. They should just regulate it. And if players go above that regulation or they use a different substance, then you can fine or punish them. But trying to go 100% is just not going to work. And of all the things that baseball should be focusing on right now, this isn't it.
0: Yeah, it it seems to me that what I hear you're saying is that you don't feel like this is a form of cheating. This is just sort of the, the longstanding unwritten rule of baseball. If you can get away with it, you know, you should do it.
1: I don't really think it's so much whether or not I think it's cheating. I mean, ideally, everyone would just play the game the right way. But I think that by some players not using it because they follow the, rule, the rules and some players using it because they just either think they're not going to get caught or they don't care, um, that's when you get into this area of cheating versus not cheating, which is why my solution is let everybody do it or let nobody do it. But if you're actually going to do a crackdown, you need to do a crackdown. But the biggest point is I don't think that this is what MLB should be focusing on. So just like because I really just don't think it should matter as much as other things like the fact that most people haven't been able to watch any of their team's spring training games and can't afford to go to their own ballparks. Like those to me are bigger issues that Major League Baseball should be focusing on because it's not going to matter who is pine tarring up their, you know, their baseball cap and then dipping their hands in it like um, Pineda a couple of years ago against the Red Sox if nobody's watching the games anyway. (laughs)
0: That's a good point. Keaton, I see you nodding your head along there. What do you think?
2: I don't think Major League Baseball wanted to deal with this. I think they wanted to keep it just whatever it was and how it was going, and it was the Trevor Bauer experiment in that one inning in that game in Houston 2018 that I think really brought it to the forefront. And they've been trying to figure out a way to get these balls tackier and trying to figure out a way to eliminate it by – making the guys not need to use it like if you can come up with that tackier of ser- substance on the ball like they have in Japan and Korea then this isn't going to be as big of an issue but they have had a terrible early results with that they tried to do some of that in 2019 they used some of these tackier balls in the Atlantic League the guys hated it the seams were different they were a little bit softer they didn't like the way the ball felt they were a little bit lighter so they haven't had any success in doing that and so I- I'm with I'm with Gabrielle here like we don't really need to try to get this out of the game and it's so hard to police and one of the things that I think is kind of weird about this memo that's out. And of course, this wasn't like a, a public press release. This wasn't totally ready for public consumption when it did start to come out, is they're trying, they're they're trying to do two things at once. They're trying to gain a little information here about what guys are using, how many guys are using it, and how impactful it is. And then they're they're also still talking about potentially punishing guys. So it seems like they're trying to punish the guys on the high end, but not completely get it out and try to kind of push it out a little bit. It's really, really weird. And and it doesn't really feel, feel right yet. And I understand them trying, like, we definitely need to get a rule on the books. We need a resolution to this. We can't just keep having some guys using a lot of stuff, some guys not. And then you feel like you have to cheat. It's a little bit like that steroid era where you're trying to keep up with other guys. If if you have 75% of the guys in the league or 90% of the guys in the league breaking this rule, using a foreign substance on a ball, and you're not, and these teams are so focused on spin rate, then you feel like you're being left behind by not cheating. So there definitely needs to be a resolution for this. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's really weird to see them both trying to say, well, we're just going to have these enforcers trying to to figure out what's going on, what the substances are, and how many people are using it. But at the same time, we're now going to uh, enact the ability to suspend guys and bring consequences after a game. So it's a very very, very weird situation right now. And I'm not really even sure what the solution is. Yeah. I mean,
3: Keaton kind of said it. He, he estimated maybe 75% or so are using it. Cause that's exactly what Trevor Bauer said a couple years ago on a talk show. So I think it's pretty out there that most of these guys are using some kind of banned substance. Um, we know that an angels employee, I believe was fired just recently. And there was a report we saw Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Bundy, Bauer, the list goes on. To me, this is not the priority that MLB needs to focus on, but I'll save that for some of our upcoming topics.
4: Yeah, this is a scare tactic, in my opinion. Uh, If this was a big issue for managers and other teams, they would have gone to the umpires the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years and said something about it. But the fact that they didn't tells me that their guys are doing it too. So I don't know why MLB is prioritizing this. This is not a big deal to me. Uh, pitchers have been doing this for a hundred years, whether whatever the substance, pine tar, Vaseline, you, you name it. Um, so frankly, again, I think all you guys said it, they, they need to be focusing on, on actual issues, uh, not something that I don't really consider to be cheating. Uh, I don't put this on the same level as taking you know, anabolic steroids whatsoever. Um, so it's kind of and another thing that didn't make sense to me is they're saying they're going to analyze the spin rate using Statcast, Uh, but if you've been doing it for the past two years, then you're, you're good. Uh, so this just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, basically it's, if you've been doing it, you're good, but if you start doing it now, you're not good. Uh, so, and it just kind of, what if you just improve your spin rate without using it? So I, I just don't see how this is going to make any sense. I think this is totally unprepared and and they don't know what they're
2: doing
1: here.
2: Well, well, it's another example of them trying to figure out a way to increase the activity in the game. I mean, this is de- part of the reason we have strikeouts as high as we do is because of the increased use of this tackiness. Like when you had the ability with the wrap soda machines that track your spin rate, you can go test stuff immediately in the bullpen and start to figure this out. So this is definitely more widespread now than it was five or six years ago before we had some of this uh, equipment.
0: Yeah. And I think honestly, honestly, I think we're all in agreement on this one. I I don't, I don't put it in the same category as what David was saying uh, of using steroids or even in the Astros uh, arena using video to, to cheat in real time. I don't put that on the, on the same level. Honestly, I think it's, it's a response from major league baseball uh, because of the fact that they decided to deaden the baseball this year, because all the hitters were upset that the, the ball was being deadened and you're going to you basically try to cut down on the home run rate. So I think major league baseball was like, well, we got to hurt the pitchers too. So, you know, now, now here's this, uh, you know, substance abuse, Policy we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna throw out there. So it, it it's a strange it's a strange one. We'll see how it plays out this year. But I think it's a good segue to head into the uh, deadened ball debate. Uh, so MLB, in an attempt to make the game more fun, they've deadened the baseball slightly this season. Uh, the reasoning behind this is because they want more balls in play, less home runs, less strikeouts. Um, some hitters hate it, while managers and pitchers like it. Um, Gabrielle, let's start with you on, on this one. In my opinion, I don't think it's going to put more balls in play. I think it's actually, it may even decrease the, the offense so much that you're not going to have, you know, any scoring in a lot of these games. What do you think?
1: I mean, I definitely think that we've gotten into this age of baseball where it's like, you're literally all or nothing. You're swinging for the fences every single at bat you're not actually trying to take a good at bat, trying to just get on base. We've lost the art of the good at bat. You know, that slow uh, working of the pitch count, kind of actually seeing your pitches. You've You've got guys literally swinging out of their butts to try and hit a home run. And David Ortiz even went on record with the Boston Globe a month ago and said, it's ruining the game. Baseball is boring because you have strikeout rates that are just skyrocketing. I mean, the Red Sox, for example, had a guy who made his debut in April, 2019 and had like, was top four in strikeouts on the team. And he didn't even play in a hundred games that season. And you've got multiple guys on the team like that. And Poppy said, you know, I had a hundred strikeout season a couple times in my career. And when I had that, I was mad at myself. And I actually spent the entire off season afterwards working on my hitting to reduce my strikeout rate. And now it just seems like that's not even a priority. It's like, oh yeah, you struck out, but the next inning you're gonna hit a 400 foot home run. So it's totally fine. I'm not sure, you know, it's interesting to to bring up the idea of like, if you deaden the ball, it might actually make it worse. I'm very curious to see if that's gonna be the case. I honestly, I'm not a physicist. I don't, <laughs> that was like my worst subject in school. So I'm not gonna even try on that one. But I do definitely think that the juiced balls have been a problem because major league baseball thinks that that's what people want to see but i don't think it is i think what people want to see if you're really a baseball fan is you want to see the art of a pitcher's duel you want to see like mookie betts having that like 13 pitch at bat against the blue jays and then hitting a grand slam and they talked about it for two years afterwards that's what people want to see they want to see the art of like the slow game that's what baseball is supposed to be not Everybody just, you know, striking out or (laughs) popping up like on a one pitch at bat. That's that's not what we're supposed to be doing here.
0: Yeah. And I also think that the way that GMs value players these days, they value what on base percentage and slugging and and home runs and RBIs. I mean, they they value those those stats. And so if GMs and uh, baseball teams are evaluating players for, let's say, you know, players they want to trade for players, they want to sign. David, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have some pretty strong opinions on this. I mean,
4: first of all, I'll just say, does Rob Manfred just wake up every day and say, how can I make baseball less fun for everybody? <laughs> thank, uh, because you, frankly, thank
1: you. frankly,
4: Sorry. I mean, new people who are not really fans of the game, but maybe want to get into it, they like home runs. Uh, and while I appreciate the old school part of the game where you, you know, you get on base, move the guy over, sacrifice, fly, all that stuff. Frankly, the home runs is what attracts fans, but that's not my main point. My main point is this stop changing the baseball, pick one and go with it. I'm tired of I'm tired of them going into the playoffs, switching balls, going into spring training, switching balls, deadening it, juicing it. Just pick one. I don't care which ball it is, but pick one. It's ridiculous. It's unfair to the hitters. It's unfair to the pitchers. And it's unfair to the fans. Uh, I I cannot believe they, they change the baseball uh, after the 2019 regular season, before the 2019 postseason. I mean, that is just ridiculous. I'm tired of seeing the baseball being changed. Just pick one.
0: Yeah. And also, it's, I don't think that any of these rule changes are going to make a difference, whether you, you know, ban the shift, which is what we're, we're going to get into at, at some point, or if you are, you know, changing the ball or trying to crack down on on foreign substances in the game, I, I pitch clocks, all of that stuff. I don't think it's going to matter. People that love baseball are going to love baseball for what it is, and yeah. they don't want. And the and the great thing about baseball is that it doesn't have a clock, and you don't know when it's going to end. And you could have like a two hour game where it's you know bang bang bang, or you could be you know watching Max Muncie hit a walk off home run in the eighteenth inning of the longest World Series game ever. So, I mean, that's the magic of this game. And I think that um, with trying to tweak it and change it as much as they're trying to do, it just, it, it lessens the, the, the majesticness of it. Um, that's just my opinion on that. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, I mean, David made some great points. And I think the other thing we have to factor in when they keep messing with the ball, is how it affects the pitcher's velocity. Because I've been hearing that a juice ball can actually increase pitchers' velocity. We're seeing way more guys throwing 100 plus miles per hour, which seemed like such a rare phenomenon, maybe like 10 years ago when Chapman was throwing 103 out of the pen. Now it seems like almost every pitcher's throwing 100. So if they mess with the baseball and deaden it too much, you have to wonder how that's going to affect spin rate and velocity for pitchers as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't have much to add. It it just keep a consistent ball. Um, I I actually do like the juice ball. I think it's kind of revived the game in a way. It's just other things that are issues like the rules and marketability. But, I mean, you look at the stats in 2014. For example, I think the league leader in the National League for RBIs was Adrian Gonzalez with 100. So offense was dying. And they did a good thing kind of rejuvenating offense, but they're just not doing it to the right extent just yet. Right, right. And, and I want to move on to
0: to banning the shift because I think it's a it's a decent segue uh, to talking about how Major League Baseball is really trying to change the way we watch the game. I want to start with Keaton on this because he is our minor league expert here. Um, they're going to be rolling out some a lot of new rules in the minor leagues this season, but specifically in AA, um, the first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, and third baseman will be required to have both feet completely in front of the outer infield dirt. So this is to prevent the second baseman, for example, from playing in short Right field, and this could lead to a ban on the shift altogether uh, in AA this year. What are your thoughts on the shift, Keaton, and what do you think this will do uh, to, to minor league baseball this season?
2: So I've changed my mind on this as we've kind of moved forward initially I didn't want to see any banning of the shift because in my mind it was well this was a natural progression of strategy as the game has changed but in reality I don't really think that's what it is we haven't really had a natural progression because we've had the sabermetrics revolution because of the numbers revolution that we've had in the game that's what's changed it there's not something else coming down the pike in the next five to 10 years that's going to dramatically change the game the way we have right now in terms of like a statistical revolution like that. And so I do think there are things that we need to do just tweak the game slightly here and there to try to increase some more of that action, some more of that things that some people will call small ball, but just more of the action, more of the ball in play. And I think this has the opportunity to kind of balance out some of what the statistical revolution has done to the game. The reason everybody's trying to hit home runs is because this is what the front offices value. The reason everybody's doctoring baseball is because the front offices value spin rate so I think this is a really good opportunity to see how this starts to play out it's going to need a little bit of a tweak and they do have room uh in these rules that at the all-star break they could say they have to keep uh two infielders on either side of second base so that's not a part of it yet but it could be um and I think the fact that it's just you have to keep your feet on the infield dirt may keep uh them from even putting that third person over because typically when you bring that third infielder over, you're putting somebody way out in shallow right so I don't really think they're going to do that too much unless you have a runner at first and maybe a left-handed batter up. So you have uh, kind of that big hole there, but I'm excited to see how this plays out. And I think this could make a, a major, major difference in, in a very good way. And I'm excited. I think we need something to balance, balance out the statistical revolution that we have going in the game right now.
3: Me, the shift is one of the most pointless things in baseball. It doesn't prevent runs. It just doesn't. You can look at the numbers. It might be a 2% difference. Baseball is a three outcome game. Now it's home runs, strikeouts, or walks. And it doesn't matter if a guy's putting a ball in play. Most of the time, it's going to be an out, regardless. That's just the reality. If if people want to beat the shift, we've had a number of years now where guys just need to learn to bunt or hit against it. It's not that hard. Yeah,
0: that's an argument that a lot of people like to say is that it's 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 not that hard. I I clearly think that it is because if it wasn't, we would see more of it. And so when when you've got guys that are are saying, well, I could try to Hit against the shift, but I may, you know, strike out or I may pop it up or or whatever it is. I mean, now that the that the ball's coming in there faster than it's ever been thrown before, uh, and you got guys throwing a hundred easy these days, where you know, just a few years ago, uh, a mid nineties fastball was scary. And so when you've got those three true outcomes, you've got guys just swinging for the fences because screw it. You're going you're gonna to connect with one of them eventually, and, and it won't matter where the defenders
2: are because the ball's going over the fence. Trying to beat the shift is a win for the defense. I'd much rather have a big power hitter trying to bunt than try to hit a home run.
0: It's more interesting, I think. It's, it definitely adds, when you put the ball in play and you have fielders having to field it and throw you out, a lot of weird things can happen. I'm kind of split on
1: this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we have Rafael Devers on the Red Sox and he's this hilarious, uh, you know, defensive player because he will make the most ridiculously difficult outfield, like third base plays just look so effortless. And then he will bobble the most basic maneuvers and you just look at him and you're like, well, okay, your, your basics just aren't there, but your elite defensive skills are just already on display and he's been with the team since he was like 20 years old but you know they've been trying the shift on people like as all the way back to like the 1920s like Babe Ruth Ted Williams like Lou Boudreau tried to put the shift on Ted Williams and Ted Williams was like laughing and he still hit like 340 or something that season the point is the shift can make things more interesting some people hate it you know some people take it to like a ridiculous extent like I think there was one time they put like six players on one side for Ted Williams but The point is like, again, we're focusing on something that isn't the crux of like MLB's problem. The point is like, if the ball should just be in play more, you know, then that that literally sets off everything. If everyone's just striking out all the time and you've got like a three minute inning by one team because none of their players can put the ball in play yeah, maybe the game's going to be over faster, but it's also going to be pretty boring.
2: But we're not seeing guys put the balls in play because ground balls are death. You know, if 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 you get the ball in play on the ground, it's an out now because they have so much predictive ability with the shift. And that's why guys are selling out so much. And that's why they view strikeouts as an equal out to even grounding out because guys aren't being able to move around. We're not seeing that extra action. And if you can get rid of the shift and those balls that do get into play do create action and aren't hit right at guys, then that's something I think is a positive. And you know, those hard hit balls, those balls where the hitter actually won the at bat because he squared it up and had a, a really strong line drive that goes right at somebody. If we can maybe turn some of those into hits because fielders can't stand right there, I think that could be a good thing. And look, it's not major league baseball right now, but I think this is something that we can be keeping an eye on that could really help it. And I'm glad it's starting where it is right now to see how it plays out at the double A level.
0: So are we, are we all kind of, it seems like we're all sort of in agreement uh, of, of maybe not banning the shift, but maybe exercising these tweaks that were that they're trying to implement in the minor leagues to see how that plays and i think that the you know the minor leagues have sort of become the guinea pig uh, for Major League Baseball in testing their, you know, their new rules like the pitch clock. I think they're, you know, in even in some of the uh, levels they're going to put in a an automatic umpire, this Hawkeye tracking system. In low Class A, uh, they're trying to limit uh, pitchers' uh, pickoffs attempts. So <laughs> it's crazy. So in low Class A, they're going to get two pickoff attempts, and if the third pickoff attempt isn't an out, then the move is considered a balk. Um, so that's a weird one Um, and then in AAA they're increasing the base size from 15 to 18 inches with the exception of home plate and that's supposed to increase more stolen bases so they're trying to bring small ball small ball back. I love small ball. Um, it's part of the reason why I like the pitcher hitting in the National League. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts on on if we think this style of baseball, this three true outcome style of baseball, is something we like to watch personally. Any style of baseball, I'll watch. It doesn't matter what you know what the rules are. But I just want to get your thoughts on on small ball and if and if we should be focused on bringing that back in some capacity. David, we'll start with you on this. Yeah.
4: Um, you know, I'm a big small ball fan myself, uh, but I'm also, uh, you know, a big home run guy. I think I like, I, you know, you can't really go wrong. I'm, I'm okay with whatever is working for teams. Uh, these guys, you know, the GMs, the analytics staff, all these guys, they know what's working. Uh, the Rays and the Dodgers made the World Series last year, and those are two of the most heavy analytic teams in baseball. So clearly something is working on that end. So Whatever, whatever they're going to do to win, I'm, I'm okay with. While I, I would love to see, you know, a single, a sacrifice bunt, and then, you know, move them over and then a sack flyer, whatever it is. I, I enjoy that. Um, but I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of all these little changes, frankly, that we just discussed. I think baseball is, is perfect the way it is, and I think they just need to let the players play, uh, the analytics staff work, the manager work, and whatever
3: they do to win a game, I'm good with. Kevin, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I like small ball. I'm not as big a proponent of, as it, on it as you guys, but like Mookie Betts, that's why I think he's the best player in baseball because he does all the fundamentals that yep. honestly no other guy does. He will put the ball in play. He'll hit doubles. He's not always swinging for the home runs. He knows when to steal bases. He has the base running expertise. I think we need more guys like that. And just MLB has to do a better job of marketing these type of players because yes. if more people were aware of just how good Mookie Betts was, he wouldn't be as big as LeBron, but he could be like the next thing close to that. I I honestly believe that. And it's unfortunate that baseball is just dying. And there's a lot of cities now where soccer is actually bigger because the teams, the owners, they don't want to spend money.
0: Unfortunately, you've got, you know, the, the top players in Major League Baseball have, you know, zero personality. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. whether, whether you look at Mike Trout or Mookie Betts, I mean, those guys are just great baseball players. But they don't have the personality factor that I think a lot of, of, of what Major League Baseball is trying to do, which is why they're pushing so hard, I think, for Fernando Tatis Jr. to be the face of baseball because he's a character and people, you know, love to love him and love to hate him. Um, and, and I think that that's where baseball really struggles. And, and unfortunately for a lot of fans, and, and it, it, I'm not saying that Mike Trout is on the back half of his career, but for the prime of his career that he's maybe currently still in or you know, maybe on the way out, fans have not gotten a chance to see him because he's wasting away in Anaheim. And so it's it's very it's very difficult. I mean, it, the way baseball set up, obviously, is that one single player doesn't have as much of an effect on a team as it as it would in in the NBA, for example. With with LeBron James, can take a bunch of scrubs to the playoffs every year, and that's why fans get to see him all the time.
2: You know, when we're talking about small ball, like I feel like I hear people talk about a lot of the bunting and pitchers hitting. Home runs are more exciting than bunts. Like, I'm okay with the way we've kind of shifted here. What I want to see is I want to see these guys' athleticism more on display. So, how do we do that? Let's, I want, we know, I want to see more stolen bases that is out of the game. Why? Because if you're stealing bases at less than 75% success rate, you're hurting the team. That's what the numbers say. So, what can we do to increase stolen bases? What can we do to increase the ability of guys to try to take the extra base? That will then also increase the ability in times that we're going to see outfielders try to make those big throws. Those are the moments that I really want to see. And I think, Those are the things that will highlight the athleticism and skills of guys like Buki Betts and some of these other guys, which is why I like what they're trying to do in the minor leagues. The two-step-off rule is a great idea. This is something that you can now – you have a way deeper cat mouse game between the hitter and the pitcher. Those are the types of things that I like. The other part is that helps them actually implement the pitch clock rule because at double A AA and triple A, if the pitch clock was starting to wind down, guys would just step off and then it would have to reset. And part of the reason we're seeing everybody throw hundred miles an hour. Part of the reason we're seeing 30 seconds between pitches is the science has told us, if you wait that 20 to 30 seconds, your arm fully recovers and now you can hit that same peak velocity. So, We're gonna actually implement a pitch clock to keep things moving. And then that's going to start keeping guys from hitting 100 as consistently. We need a way to keep them from being able to just step off and reset that pitch clock. Now we're putting those uh, restrictions in on stepping off. I don't know if it's gonna work or how it's gonna work, but I like the idea of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out in low A baseball. And the addition of having bigger bases, just that extra inch or two, could make a difference and it could entice people to try to take that extra base a little bit more because you're going to have that extra quarter step when you're trying to take that lead. You're going to have that extra half step because you know a guy's already thrown off once. So I like what they're doing, especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues, to increase the the movement on the base paths and increase the pressure on the defense. And I think those are the types of things when we want to just rely on the the trope we've heard over and over again about marketing players. Let's put these players in position to do things that are awesome physically. Those are the things that market. Those are the things that draw people into the games, so I'm really excited about what they're trying to do in the lower levels of the minor league. I'm excited to see what it plays out in um, in practice during out, throughout the season. And when people talk about small ball, I, I want to move away from just the bunt conversation. The DH is coming; pitchers are not going to hit anymore. How do we show off these guys' athleticism? Gabrielle, final thoughts on small ball.
1: I mean, I think one of the biggest things is that you see a lot of players, I'm not going to say playing scared, but trying to protect their body so that they can preserve their longevity. They can, you know, obviously have longer careers, make more money, um, you know, more chances to play on championship and postseason teams. You know, I used to see so many players, even just like trying to beat out the throw, like, you know, even just diving for second base, diving for first base, just trying to beat the throw. And now it feels like you don't even see that as much, let alone even the more deeply physical things that you used to see in baseball. You also see it in basketball. Basketball used to be just so much more like you think about the 1990s Detroit Pistons, just like destroying everybody on the court. You know, I think that sports now athletes, even though they have even better medical treatment, you know, they have like. You go go to opening day, and the Red Sox are like, and this is our team masseuse, and this is the guy who (laughs) operates the lasers. They have top-of-the-line treatment for their players, but the players are still trying to preserve their bodies, and I get it because you only get one body, and look at Dustin Pedroia, he can barely walk. But at the same time, baseball has become so much more delicate than it used to be, and I think that that's part of it is that you know, you have this combination of players being worried that they're going to outlive their usefulness to teams who will get rid of them for a guy who's under club control, who they can just mess with their contracts send them up and down from AAA. But you also just have kind of this fear of really getting in the game. And I hate to say it, but those games where players were just like, sacrificing their bodies, like you mentioned game three of the World Series in 2018, I was there watching Eduardo Nunez dive over the other dugout, like, I remember tweeting that he just sacrificed his body to save Nathan Nivaldi's, you know, pitching appearance. That's kind of stuff. Yes, MLB would still need to market it. But the people at the ballpark would come home and be like, oh, my God, can you believe what we just watched today? Like, we just watched somebody give their life, like Derek Jeter <laughs> diving into the stands, all that kind of stuff. You just don't see that anymore. And that is part of what makes baseball memorable.
2: Yeah. yeah playing too delicate. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I, I don't know. I just feel like the uh, the two pickoff rule in the minor leagues will lead to some weird situations where if a pitcher is thrown over twice already and you're the runner on first base, are you thinking like, oh, I can either dare this pitcher to throw over a third time and equal a balk or can I get an extra step and try to steal second base knowing that pitcher probably doesn't want to throw over there a third time. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the minor leagues. But let's, uh, let's get into some fun stuff to uh, sort of close out the show. Um, I, I, I always like talking about uh, the Hall of Fame and, and where we think uh, players will end up versus, you know, if they're going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, if they're even going to make it into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I, I have my list of what I want to do is go over some active players that we feel are first ballot Hall of Famers. And then if we want to add any players that we think will eventually make the Hall of Fame, maybe not first ballot. So I'll start this off since I um, asked you guys to, to put this together. So my first ballot guys are Clayton Kershaw, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, Mike Trout, and Justin Verlander. I want to start with the first ballot guys, and then we can add the the other guys in there. But those are, you know, my five guys that I would say right now um, they're going to be first ballot Hall of Famers by the time their careers are over. Um, let's start with uh, Gabrielle. Who's on your list?
1: Oh God. Okay. I mean. Obviously, Mike Trout, like that's not even a question. Um, I will say, though, just really quickly back to our conversation about marketing players. It took me moving from Boston to Los Angeles to really under and going to an Angels game to really understand how good Mike Trout is. And when I did realize I was like, wow, they are not doing him justice in their marketing. That in and
0: of itself is a travesty.
1: Like I literally had to pay to go to Angel Stadium to watch Mike (laughs) Trout. But that's just another, that's just a whole other conversation. Um, so Mike Trout for the Red Sox, I'm just gonna put it out there. Xander Bogart is one of the best shortstops in baseball and has been for a long time now, is regularly having MVP caliber all-star seasons. He's played on two World Series teams now, multiple postseason teams, team leader. The guy should be more in conversation every year for MVP. And should be a first ballot hall of famer already and he's only 28 years old and he's been playing in the majors since 2013. That's my that's my biggest one and then for pitching Max Scherzer.
0: First ballot. Okay, I like that list. Mad Max,
1: terrifying Mad Max. I just will always picture him with the black eye like refusing to give up his start and just demolishing everybody and like that kind yeah. of fire alone sets him apart from so many players nowadays. Like I feel like Max Scherzer would have been like a total god in the eighties in like this era of just like absolute insane fiery baseball. Yeah.
0: Two different colored eyes, just a weird yes. uh. and his
1: dogs have and his <laughs> dogs also have heterochromia just like him, which I think is amazing.
0: That's great. David, what do you what do you got?
4: So I'm with you on on your five. I got Pujols, Cabrera, Trout, Kershaw, and Verlander. Uh I'm also gonna add Scherzer in there, and I'm also gonna add Zach Grinky in there. Uh Grinky and ballot. Scherzer first ballot. Uh, Grinky and Scherzer are basically have have the same career war. Grinky is at 60 and a half four right now. And I imagine he's still got at least two, three, four, maybe four seasons left. Uh, and then there's guys not really first ballot, but who I think will get in are Yadier Molina, Joey Votto and Buster Posey. I think the longev- longevity of their careers paired with just their overall success is going to get them in eventually. Um, but in terms of first ballot, just those seven guys and then there's a whole list of, of other guys who are on pace for Hall of Fame careers, but still too young to, to f- fully, you know, get their bets. Harper, Freeman, DeGrom, Arenado, Cole, Sale maybe. Chris Sale is, is teetering on the line. Uh, Lindor, Goldschmidt, and uh, even Machado.
0: Uh, yeah, so- I- I have, uh, I have I have I have bets on there Votto Juan Soto a, t- a little too early to tell yeah. on him but just the projections on him or if he stays healthy are going to be insane um, and then I also had uh, Felix Hernandez on there that's an interesting um, one because I just feel like for the longest time I mean he obviously never went to the playoffs because the last time they made the playoffs was two thousand one. <laughs> um, and he was continually on bad Mariners teams and and was dominant. Uh so I just I give him a lot of credit for for being a He's like on a pitching teams.
1: Mike Trout.
0: Right, exactly. You know, you don't
1: build a team around a guy, they're a loser every year, and it's not their fault. And I just have to say, um, Chris Dale, if you look at his numbers and then you look at his run support every single year, the guy perennially gets no run support he -hmm. had a 17 strikeout game in 2019 it was the biggest strikeout game since I think Scherzer or Kluber in 2016 when they had 20 he struck out 17 batters and got a no decision because the (laughs) Red Sox couldn't plate runs in an extra inning game and he was begging to go out there and get more strikeouts never gets run support
0: yeah it's and 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 also I feel like Felix Hernandez when he won the Cy Young was sort of a a revolutionary win for him because it was it. It basically said, you know what, wins and losses aren't everything. Um oh, So good I, that, thing he's on the uh, Orioles this year, so he'll
4: get a chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> oh, oh wait, whoops,
0: sorry. I'm rooting. I'm rooting for a good
3: comeback, Kevin. Who do you got on your list? All right, yeah, it's just like yesterday's fantasy drafts. All my guys have already been taken, but <laughs> Mookie Betts will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's, I think, he's got maybe two years left to prove it, but he's going to do it. No doubt in my mind. Um, I think Cody Bellinger is also going to be a Hall of Famer. He looks like he's on that path as well. I think he's done enough already in his young career to be considered a Hall of Famer. People sleep Um, on him. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm also high on King Felix. He's no doubt deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Just a couple guys who recently retired that I also think deserve Hall of Fame consideration. Joe Maurer, who is getting so much disrespect around the league. The guy was a three-time batting champion as a catcher. Do people like forget how good he was. He's a Hall of Famer. Um also this is a weird one but I'd also throw a vote to Tim Lincecum just because he was so dominant. I know it was a short stretch, but he won two Cy Youngs and was the best NL pitcher for 3 years. So If, if
0: hold on, if you're going to if you're going to base it on a short stretch, the dude has to be at the level or better than Sandy Koufax. That's the that's the standard for short period um, of dominance. Yeah. I was
1: literally going to say Koufax uh, retired at 32.
3: Yeah. And at the time, he was the Koufax of his era. Okay, let's calm down.
1: Up against Kershaw, I don't think so. Kershaw
0: was not the (laughs)
3: Kershaw was. Look at two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Kershaw was not the best pitcher then. Look at revisit Lincecum's numbers. He led the he led baseball in strikeouts multiple times. Lowest ERA, World Series champion three times, and the two Cy Youngs.
0: That's a tough one because I don't think I, I don't think he did it for long enough. While I think he yeah. was an elite pitcher for when he was at his peak, I don't think he did it for for long enough to to get in. He may he may get in at some point, but I I, I don't know. He he's on the fence for me. Keaton, I what think do you he's
1: got? Maybe second ballot, maybe.
0: Yeah. Keaton, yeah, as, Finally, what do you got? As far as also, uh, we can,
1: sorry, no. I was just gonna say we can't compare people to Kofax because I mean the guy was like. Appearing in like three World Series games in one World Series, throwing absolute shutouts, complete games. Like people just don't do that anymore. So like to compare him to anybody, it's just it's going to be a losing battle. It's like when people compare Otani and Babe Ruth. You know, yeah. Just yeah. No, I'm just saying.
0: I'm just saying in terms of the the amount of dominance in a short window. If you're if you're voting on a guy based on the work that he's done in the span of five to six years. Those those numbers have to be insane. That was that was the uh, only point I was making about Kofax. But Keaton, uh, your your list. Do you got any guys that we haven't talked about?
2: Yeah, uh, a couple of thoughts quickly on Tim Lincecum. His seven year peak of war was 24 and his career war is under 20. So he actually lost a significant amount of war um, at the end of his career. And if we're looking for uh, another kind of example of a guy with a super dominant stretch, but maybe not the really, really long career would be like uh, Pedro Martinez. Like, I know he did end up throwing for a long time, 18 years, but his dominant stretch was super dominant. And if you're looking for somebody who just had like a seven year run, like that to me would be if you wanted more modern era uh, example of what it would take to have a, a run. You took his seven-year run. You need something like that um, in order to get yeah, in. Definitely. Um, I think, uh, you know, of the people that have only sort of gotten talked about here, uh, Joey Votto. Joey Votto is a first first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, no question in my mind. He's 36 now. He's been in the league for 14 years. You know, he's got a 62 career war, which is fifth among active players right now. He's got some of the most elite plate discipline, and he gets lost because he's in Cincinnati. So I I think Joey Votto, and he's a good defensive first baseman. Like, this dude's 36 and still playing first base. So I think Joey Votto is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I also think that Yadier Molina and Buster Pose are both first ballot Hall of Famers. Those guys are linchpin catchers on dynasty teams. Those guys have been around for a long time. Obviously, obviously Molina, much longer, 17 years. Nobody's had a better arm in the league than him. Buster Posey's been in the League 11. He still has some more time left on his career, but he was the linchpin of three World Series championship teams in San Francisco. You don't need to look at war for catchers because it doesn't always translate exactly to what their impact was. So I think Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, and Joey Votto, guys you have not mentioned, are all Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers.
0: I like that list. I have them on I I don't have them in first ballot, but I have them as Hall of Famers for sure, uh, Molina. And also I had Fernando Tatis Jr. if he if he pans out the way he's supposed to pan out. He may he may I look forward to his there.
2: second season in major yeah. baseball. Once he hits game yeah. 162, I look forward to speaking about his sophomore slump, which we haven't Thank even you. gotten to yet. Thank yeah. you
0: for saying it. And
2: even, so you didn't think done more it. than him so far?
0: No, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not like well, Lincecum's done with his career, but like guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto that still have to, you know, prove that they can be a, you know, a, a top of the league player for multiple years. That, that that's one guy to keep an eye on. I'm not, I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame right now, but it's just some some guy that I had uh, on my list. OK, so you guys probably thought that was a wild prediction for Fernando Tatis Jr. This is a good segue into our final segment of the day. Uh, let's let's talk about 2021. I want your just your hottest, wildest takes Biggest predictions, uh, whether that's who's going to win MVP, biggest breakout, comeback player of the year, Cy Young, rookie of the year, doesn't matter. Team that's going to make the World Series and win it. I, I, it doesn't matter to me uh, what you guys have. So uh, let's start with Gabrielle. What do you got? What's, the, what's the, the most scolding hot take you have?
1: Make any sense. All right. Well, my scolding hot take is obviously going to be Red Sox related because I really think that people are underrating this team and just, I'm not saying that they're going to be like a postseason team. I think they could be a wild card team, not even saying they're going to win it. But I do think that they're definitely going to be a team that wins at least 85 games this year. They are better than people think. Their pitching has been better already during spring training. They are actually driving in runs. Their bullpen is not blowing saves. They had a shutout last night. I know spring training games don't count but I will say that spring training games are a preview of what you're going to get during the season. And Cora has really been putting out the real lineups already and they look good. They really look good. They added some really strong players who can play a lot of different positions. Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, they got some good pitching. Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back. And that's my second prediction is Eduardo Rodriguez and Trey Mancini are both going to win American league comeback player of the year this year. They're going to give it to both of them. I know that's usually a one person thing, But Trey Mancini is coming back from cancer. Eduardo Rodriguez survived COVID and viral myocarditis. Wasn't sure if he was ever going to pitch again. These two guys are ready right now, a week away from opening day. Comeback player of the year just for the fact that they are already back there doing what they love. And it's so amazing to see. Those are my predictions. And uh, National League, I still think the Dodgers are going to win then they're going to win their division. I still think they're going to make it all the way to the NLCS world series. I'm not saying they're going to win. I think the white Sox could be really interesting adversaries for them with the really good pitching that they've got. But I don't know. I still think it's the Dodgers year, which is unfortunately not super exciting considering they've won their division like eight years in a row now, but. Yeah, you know, I think 2022, the Padres will give them more of a run for their money.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the most exciting thing ever. I just want to point that out. Um yeah. we, Re- we, relative <laughs> excitement. For, we're 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 pretty pumped for that. And I and I agree with you, don't sleep on the Red Sox. Uh Bobby Dalbeck. Yeah, Bobby Dalbeck. Bobby
1: Bomb, but, Bobby yep. Dalbeck and Michael Chavez currently tied for the MLB lead in spring training home runs. And by the way, two of the biggest strikeout guys we've got So, just <laughs> you shows go. you the MLB situation Full that circle. Chavis was the guy I mentioned at the beginning with the April 9th, 2019 debut, huge strikeout guys.
3: All right, Kevin, what do you got? Yeah. So this offseason is shaping up to be one of the most historic free agent classes of all time, but I also think this is going to affect the trade deadline. And I think we're going to have a huge explosive MLB trade deadline. So I think we're gonna see a couple nukes. One of them I predict the Rockies are gonna trade Trevor Story to the New York Yankees. Oh. And wait, think, wait a
0: second. Wait a second. So you I mean, because I know your MVP take is is Glaber Torres. So why why would the Yan- why would the Yankees need Trevor Story?
3: Just set themselves apart. Be aggressive. Why not go all in? They have a lot of outfielders. I think they could move Clint Frazier and get story. And like, why wouldn't you Trevor story? David's very high on him. One of the best in the game. Why wouldn't you, if he's up, if he's out there. Okay. Uh, And then, so then the other one, I think Chris Bryant, unfortunately, I think the Cubs, they're just going to, they're going to start hot and just tail off. And I, I think Chris Bryant's going to go to one of the two NL East teams, whether it's the Mets or the Braves, hard to get a read on which one it is yet, but yeah, NLCS Dodgers Mets, ALCS. Yankees, White Sox, World Series, Dodgers, Yankees, MVPs, Gleyber Torres for the Yankees, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. And that's that's all I
2: got. Sweet. Keaton, what do you got? People are going to fall in love with baseball again. I think attendance is going to go up this year. I think distance makes the heart grow fonder. And I think people are going to be clamoring to get something to do outside, outdoors on the nicest days of the year. And I think the best way to actually increase fandom and really gain new fans is showing up to games live. There's nothing more beautiful in the game actually live. Like, if you really think about the way you watch a game on television, it takes so much away from the viewing experience. Just the fact that they have to cut the camera angle from uh, over the pitcher's shoulder to then Find where the fielder is. You're not tracking the ball. You don't get a sense of how hard that ball is coming off the bat. You don't get to see the trajectory. You don't get to see the first step of the infielders and outfielders. You don't get to see how much room they care they cover, how much territory they cover, how quick they are, how fast they are. So I think people are going to have restrictive tickets. So people are going to want to go to games because, ooh, it's a hot ticket. You know, there's only 5, 10, 12,000 people in the ballpark. So there's going to be a little bit of an increased effort to try to go to these games. And I think people are going to actually show up and be like, oh, wow, that's what baseball looks like. Holy crap. This game is actually kind of fun. So I think overall attendance won't actually be able to go up because the the um, attendance is going to be restricted, obviously, early on. But at the same time, I think we are actually going to see a little bit of true natural growth in the game this year because people are going to go to these games. They're going to remember what it was like. And I think we're going to see just that little extra oomph. And we'll see if baseball can capitalize on that because it will die off after this year. We're going to have that bounce back because It's been so long since we've been to games, but I think people are going to re-fall in love with baseball and we're going to find some new fans this year.
0: Love it. I hope that happens. David, what do you got? You don't got to ask me twice for hot takes.
4: Okay, so I got three. One, which you two know about, the Mets are not making the playoffs, but Francisco Lindor is going to win the MVP. They're going to finish third in the division and Lindor is going to get the MVP. Number two, the Angels are going to have two people in the top three MVP votes in the AL. It's not just going to be Mike Trout. Shohei Otani is going to finish in the top three in AL MVP. I think he's going to do it on both sides of the ball this year. I think he's going to stay healthy, and I think that's too much to uh, neglect for him being on the top three. And finally, I think Brandon Woodruff takes home the NL Cy Young. And if you're a betting man or woman, get him at plus 220 in Vegas right now. That's $100 to win $2,200. I think that's a good bet, and I think he's going to have a phenomenal year, and he takes home the Cy Young with the Grom. Maybe tailing off or getting hurt, as I said, uh, I don't think the Mets are going to make the playoffs.
0: You know, it's it's so nice to hear you say that, David, because I have both Woodruff and Lindor on my fantasy team, so this <laughs> this is this is going to be good if the, if that pans out. Um, yeah. I'm going to just round this out by saying I think the White Sox are going to win the uh, American League pennant. I think they're taking out the Yankees uh, in the NLCS, or ALCS rather, and it's going to be Dodgers, White Sox, and I'm taking the Dodgers. I just think that in terms of depth, they're just, and and even though I am a Dodgers fan, in terms of depth, there's just no other team that comes close to the the depth that the Dodgers have. And I think in terms of depth, I think the White Sox are, are... not right there but they're in the conversation in terms of a well-rounded uh, organization um and i think for uh the NL Cy Young i'm going to go real dark horse here and i'm going to say walker Bueller puts it together and i'm 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 taking him as the uh, the uh, National League Cy Young that's my that's my hottest take for you guys. But listen, this was awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us for a meeting on the mound. This is great. I really want to do uh, more of these as the season goes on. Uh, we'll get you know new voices and new topics in there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look, to, to kind of echo what Keaton says, I, I really hope people do fall in love with this game again. It is such a beautiful game. There's no other game like it. And I think that you know, the more baseball tries to change itself, the worse off it's going to get. Um, but they 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 because they they got to keep what what's beautiful about it and what's majestic about it. And I think that um, we just have to remind ourselves of that and pass it down from generation to generation. Get people in, you know, invested in this game from a young age and and you'll be set. But thank you guys so much for joining me. This is awesome. And uh, yeah, opening day. Let's do it.
2: Thanks, y'all.